No, Rome, you are not the great power. There is a greater power. Uh, no, uh, the greatest power in the universe is not in Washington, D.C. There's a greater power. It's not in local government either. Uh, it's not in the tech companies, and it's not the alphabetic soup of Google, Amazon, and Facebook, whatever else it is. Welcome to the God-Centered Life with Josh Moody. The Heavenly Places, that's the name of the series that we're currently in as we dig through the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 is where we're at today. The Eyes of Your Heart Enlightened, that's the name of the study. Josh Moody, senior pastor of College Church, located in Wheaton, Illinois, about 30 miles west of the city of Chicago. Thanks for joining us for this study. Josh, uh, we talked about Jeff Bezos last mm-hmm. time we were together, and Elon Musk recently in the news regarding his compensation package. And yeah. for the vast majority of us, the sums of money and the domain over which these guys have control is really hard to fathom. And yet, our opening clip hints at a bit of a different perspective. Yeah, it's easy to view these small g gods, these people are small g gods th- mm. these days. There's so much power, so much money, and yet exponentially greater is the God of the universe. And you think of these people and you think of, well, Steve Jobs and all the power and money that he had, and yet uh, it comes to an end, doesn't it? And there is a greater power, there's a greater true capital G God uh, before whom we bow and is the one that we need to orientate our lives around rather than these celebrity barons of our day. Mm, I like the word truth there that Mm. uh, came up in your setup. Uh, We'll be exploring that more as this study goes forward. We'll do a quick review of our previous session as it links to this one and then jump into our new material for today. Here's Josh. Many of the things about the church... The true reality of the church is, for many people, undercover, in disguise. And the Apostle Paul here is praying, he is, if you've been following us along in our series, the whole point of the letter of the Ephesians is to encourage this network of churches to which he's writing. He planted the church through a ministry in the Hall of Tyrannus. He did these daily lectures and the word of God went out through to the whole province of Asia. So he knew some of the Christians, but not others, because there was a whole network of churches planted throughout that area. And he's writing to Ephesus and this network of churches. Uh, to encourage them that God has heavenly power in the heavenly places, the ongoing theme throughout the letter. It's a letter of encouragement. As we saw last week, he encouraged them, first of all, that God has a purpose to bless us, a sovereign purpose to bless us with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, this sovereign purpose. And now, because of that, he says, for this reason, namely, Because God has his sovereign purpose to bless us, and he says, because I've heard of your faith and love, because there are some that he hadn't met in person, though some he had, he'd heard that they really were part of this blessing that God had given. They they had faith, they believed, and they had love for all the saints, that is for all the other Christians. There was evidence that they were real Christians. What's the evidence that someone's a real Christian? They love the church. They had faith and the love for all the saints. They're real Christians. They're part of God's sovereign purpose to bless his people. 
And what he's praying is that they would be illuminated. They would see, as he says, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And then he lists three things he wants them to know, each introduced by the word what. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Then what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. All of which culminates, verse 22, in the church. He gave him as head over all things to the church. The apostle Paul is praying that they would see what otherwise is undercover. What is the hope? What are the riches? And what is the power of the church? So let's look at those three things together. First of all, what is the hope? Uh, Verse 18, he says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And as I say, you can see from the end of it, this culminates in in the church. And in fact, this theme of the hope to which he's called you as, as Christians in the church, he picks up again later in the letter. You look at uh, chapter 4, this, this theme of the church is one of the, the important sub-themes of the letter. Chapter 4, he says this, verse 1, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What is that calling? Well, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit. This is the body of Christ, the church. And he talks then about the, uh, the gifts that was given to the church and the, and, and the work of the church from which the whole body, uh, verse 16 in chapter 4, uh, joined together and works and who is the head under Christ. So when he, he's praying now, and of course he then teaches throughout the letter about this, this hope What is the hope to which he has called you as the church? To put it in kind of contemporary terms, what he wants them to see is that the future belongs to the church. Now, we, we don't think like that these days. Doom and gloom about the church. Don't you believe it? The future belongs to the church. Don't you believe the stories of doom and gloom? Actually, the true church is thriving. There have been studies done on this that show this. A study that came out of Indiana University that showed that actually the kind of religion that's on decline is what they called moderate religion. But intense religion, which they defined as evangelicalism or Bible teaching or passion, here we are in Passion Week, that's at least holding its own, if not, I would say, on the, on the up. Even in the West, certainly, or around the world, for sure. The future is, is the church. I want you to see that, says the Apostle Paul. And then second, he says, I want you to see what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He wants our eyes to be open not only to what is the hope that the future belongs to the church, 
But what are the riches of his, namely God's glorious inheritance in the saints? Uh, Paul is playing on a a fairly common theme in the Old Testament here. You can read about it in Deuteronomy uh, 28 verse 9 or uh, Psalm 28 verse 9, but it's, it's all over the Old Testament that God's inheritance is his people. That his prized possession is his people. We are the most valuable commodity, according to God, in the whole universe. I want you to see that the richest company you could ever be a part of is the local church. Therefore, of course, be encouraged if you're a part of it. If you're not a part of it, get to be a part of it. What is the hope? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, in the church? Uh, but then uh, finally and, and emphatically and most significantly for the Apostle Paul, he emphasizes by spending longest talking about it and, and he's, he's then introducing a, a major theme throughout the letter. Not only uh, what is uh, the hope, that is the future belongs to the church, not only what are the riches of the church, that the church is the, the prized possession of the God, the, the one, the person who literally owns it all. What are the riches of his, God's glorious inheritance, saints? Most emphatically, thirdly, what is the power? Look at verse 19. And, so this is the third what, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The church. Almost certainly here, uh, Paul is uh, reflecting some language that would have been used in Ephesus about the power of Rome. In fact, there's one recent archaeological excavation from a house in Ephesus has discovered there was a graffiti, a graffito uh, uh, about Rome that uses some of this sort of language, that, that Rome is the great power that will last forever. What? The Apostle Paul has a difference of opinion. I want you to see that the immeasurable greatness of his power is toward us who believe. Where where is that power? According to the working of his great might. Now that, you you need to understand, is picked up a bit later in the letter. If you come with me to chapter 6, verse 10, you see how the Paul uses a similar sort of phrase as he culminates the letter. Verse 10 of chapter 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. A very similar sort of phrase. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers of this great, of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, back to chapter 1, there is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. 
More on this powerful and hopeful passage as our study continues. But first, a reminder that if you go to our website, GodCenteredLife.org, you can sign up for a daily devotional. Now, this comes in a form of an email that is more than just a devotional. It also has a link to that day's study and other resources that we hope you would find helpful. That web address, GodCenteredLife.org, a daily devotional in your inbox. Back into Ephesians now. Here's Josh. What is the power of the church? Where where is the working of his great might? Well, verse 20 tells us that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What a great Easter Sunday morning text. I should preach this one next week. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Notice that ongoing theme throughout the letter. He wants us to see the true spiritual reality, the otherwise hidden spiritual reality. So where is God's power shown? It is shown at Calvary and in the empty tomb. I think often Christians get this wrong. You see in certain apologetic contexts where a Christian is trying to explain that God really is all-powerful and they'll go to the cosmological scale of the universe or they'll go to the microbiological minute elements of the, of, of the cell and the various microscopic particles and, and, and they'll describe, look, isn't our God amazing? But, well, true. Absolutely. But the greatest place where God's power is most shown is on that cross and in that tomb. And he says uh, he's now seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Someone uh, sent me a Facebook message asking me to explain the, the seated us when we come to chapter 2 verse 6 that we're seated with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus. Of course we'll, we'll do that when we get there. But the seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The, the Apostle Paul is using language from the Old Testament, particularly Psalm 8 and Psalm 110, about the victory of God. So what he's saying here is that, that Jesus, God through Jesus' death and resurrection has won the victory, his power has been shown, and now like a military ruler who has conquered, he, he sits down. He's won. He's seated. Uh, where? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Rome, uh, that text, that uh, graffiti in Rome and that house that was excavated that would have probably been other things like that around that they would have seen. Rome, the great power that will last forever. No, says the Apostle Paul, there is a greater power. Far above all power and dominion. All authority, all rule, above every name that is named, far above Caesar, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And where is that power exercised? He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. That last phrase is a very difficult phrase to translate from the Greek and different versions will put it in slightly different ways. To my mind, the best explanation I've come across was from one scholar who, who suggests that Paul is rhetorically coming to the end of his prayer and he's utilizing a much uh, vaulted and, and um, recognized rhetorical 
scheme at the time and still, of course, today, uh, namely alliteration and particularly the, the sound P or P. And in the Greek, it's a play on that, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that Jesus has all the fullness of God and he has all the full power and he's the head of the church and that power is exercised through the church, through his body. No, Rome, you are not the great power. There is a greater power. No, the greatest power in the universe is not in Washington, D.C. There's a greater power. Certainly isn't in Springfield. It's not in local government either. It's not in the tech companies, and it's not the alphabetic soup of Google, Amazon, and what at Facebook, or whatever else it is. The greatest power in the universe is, of course, God's power. That was shown at the cross, his death and resurrection, and that power is now being exercised through Jesus, who's the head of his body, namely the church. And I want you to see that, says the Apostle Paul. Uh, Christians down through the years have often recognized this. My, I think one of my favorite illustrations of this comes from the uh, Christians in France uh, known as the Huguenots. And the Huguenots, who were at one stage millions of them and had huge churches, thousands and thousands strong, some of their local churches, and a very dynamic gospel movement of the Huguenots in France became a persecuted people and many of them fled to places like Canada and America and England and other countries. And they had a, one of their mottos uh, that uh, I've seen is, is a picture of an anvil, uh, which is uh, with a hammer, and anvil is like the, the large structure that you hammer out metal and other things onto. And the anvil uh, in this image, they associated with God's word and God's people and on the anvil with a picture of a hammer kind of pounding on the anvil, they had the phrase, which roughly speaking went like this, the more they pound, the more they shout, the more they wear their hammers out. God's power is in the church. And therefore, of course, Christians be encouraged and also uh, commit your lives to the, the body of Christ. What are the riches? What is the power? What is the hope? What is the future? The most prized possession of the richest person in the universe, namely God, is us, the church. The future belongs to the church. And the power? In the heavenly places, I want you to see, says the Apostle Paul, that's where the real, the real power is. I think in 2015, there must have been a little fashion for these kind of undercover moments among musicians. Another one took place in, on the 42nd Street subway in, in New York City with this time not Adele, but you too, and they, they played in disguise and then after a few minutes or so, 
Bono took off his fake moustache or whatever it was and began to play as Bono and the edge was there and the whole all the four four members of the U2 band from Ireland were there playing and you can, again you can see on YouTube people catching it with their their phones and and uh, undercover revealed so much of the church seems to be undercover we don't see it I want you to see it says the apostle Paul I wonder whether we do There's a, a British-Greek evangelist called J. John, and he shared at one point that he often wrestles with what to say when someone asks him what he does. He's a, a reverend, a pastor. I, I find the same. If you, go, if you meet someone for the first time and they ask you what you do and you say, I'm a pastor, they immediately have a choice either to talk about God or to talk to someone else. And I, I've experienced that many times in planes. It's like you can say, okay, right, face down, watch the movie. He's going to talk to me about Jesus and the Bible pretty quick, you know. So he came up with a novel approach. He's on a plane, and there's a woman sitting next to him, and he's, he says to her, so where are you going? And she says, I'm flying to Singapore. And she says, so where are you going? He says, well, actually, I'm going on from there. I'm going to Australia and uh, she says, oh, what, what's taking you there? And he says, this reverend, this pastor, he says, well, I work for a global enterprise. <laughs> she says, oh, wow, that sounds pretty impressive. Well, it really is, he says. We are everywhere. <laughs> Australia, of course, but also in the Middle East and Africa and Europe and the Far East. We're, we're everywhere. And we have hospitals and hospices and educational programs, and, and we're really into uh, justice and reconciliation. We, we take care of the poor. Basically, we look after people from birth to grave. And we specify, he said, in behavioral modification. <laughs> she said, well, that's it. that sounds so impressive. Who do you work for? He said, the church. Never heard of it. I wonder whether we see the true power, riches and future belongs to the church. Well, the prayer here is that we would. So let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do ask that you would open the eyes of our heart to see what is the hope, what are the riches, and what is the power of your body, of which you are the head, the church. And we ask these things in the glorious and precious name of Jesus. Amen. That's Josh Moody, and this is The God-Centered Life. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Uh, Josh, you laid this out as being displayed most prominently at Calvary. Mm -hmm. Do we err when we look to apply this immeasurable power to our smaller challenges while bypassing the central focus of the cross? Mm, mm. Yes, uh, the Apostle Paul has in mind particularly the immeasurable power as displayed at the cross. And with that perspective, it shifts uh, the whole orientation of our mind around what really matters, where his power most is uh, mostly uh, is displayed uh, most greatly. 
and it uh, well, it's a game changer in terms of our attitude to our own lives. Hmm. Yeah, and as we say so many times here at the God Center Life, understanding the core of the gospel yeah. really changes our perspective yeah. on the things we're going through. <laughs> I enjoyed the reframing of the church as a global enterprise that has hospitals and educational <laughs> programs, and we yeah. specify in behavioral modification. Oh, no, such a funny line from J. John. Yeah, yeah it, it kind of prompts me to move away from quietly apologize. Yeah, that's what I felt when I heard that, I, and I, that's why I wanted to share. I think we need to be more confident in the extraordinary work of God around history and across the globe and it puts it into a kind of context that feels very uh, concrete and real and uh, let's be confident in who we are as God's people not in an arrogant way but in who he is yeah God's inheritance is us the church so I'm hoping that you as you're listening to this study are wrestling with perhaps developing a different perspective on church and attendance and the people in it. And as we continue our way through Ephesians, we'll talk about loving those people as right, well. Right, right. That'll be coming up soon. If you've missed some of the past installments, feel free to go by GodCenteredLife.org, where you can easily review those. We're going to continue our look at Ephesians, moving into chapter 2 next time, and uh, taking a look at what bravery looks like. If while you are conducting a golf swing, there is a simultaneous bomb explosion, you may replace your ball and take another shot. Penalty, one stroke. Brave golfers, yes, but we'll bring it closer to home as well as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians, GodCenteredLife.org, our website. We'd love to have you visit that, and we'd love to have you join us right here for another edition of The God-Centered Life with Josh Moody. Josh Moody. 